Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 54, brought to you by acmescience.com. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Kristen Lauder, president of the AWM and research manager for the cryptography group at Microsoft Research. We talk about road trip word problems, women in mathematics, associations of women in mathematics, symposium for associations of women in mathematics, and just how you might be able to do some computations on certain types of encrypted data. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Strongly Connected Components. My guest on today's show is Kristen Lauder, the research manager for the cryptography group at Microsoft Research and a principal researcher at Microsoft Research. And as of the beginning of this month, the president of the Association for Women in Mathematics. Kristen Lauder, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. It is uh, great to have you. And now from uh, doing some doing some research in, while preparing for this interview, I found uh, that you you say that you you have always uh, had an interest in mathematics and and uh, so much so as that you used to do story problems while you were in a car with your father. Yes, that was right. That that's one of the ways in which I got a lot of practice early on in mathematics, and it was a lot of fun for me, especially on long car rides. Um, so my dad would make up problems, and um, I would do them in my head and, and answer them. And, and he thought it was funny that often that I gave him the answer to the problem before he was finished asking the question. And uh, <laughs> you might think that was a questionable <laughs> strategy. But anyway, we had a lot of fun with it. And it definitely encouraged my interest in mathematics very, very early on. Then continuing on, was it always your plan throughout high school and college that you would study mathematics? Not at all. I mean, at that time, there was, let's say, less focus and interest on, you know, promoting girls in uh, math and science than, than what there is today. So I didn't get a lot of uh, encouragement in that direction, other than that I had great teachers who allowed me to work at my own pace. So I was able to work ahead on my own and through textbooks and go, you know, years ahead of my classmates without having to leave the classroom. So I was really fortunate that I had really great, flexible teachers. But actually, when I, I skipped a few grades then through throughout school and ended up graduating quite early from high school. And at that point, I really thought I wanted to study physics, but I'd gone to a public school. I didn't have a lot of, I had not gotten through calculus yet, for example. And so I didn't even really know how much mathematics I needed for physics. So it really wasn't until I went to the University of Chicago at a very young age that I started taking physics and math and found out that I didn't have enough math to do the, the physics that I wanted to do. And so I was I ended up focusing on math. And I was very lucky because I had Jill Pfeiffer for my first year calculus teacher, honors calculus at the University of Chicago. And um, she was very encouraging. And she's now, of course, the 
director of ICERM and a professor at Brown University. So I was very lucky to have a great mentor, a role model and professor very early on, right from the beginning. One thing you mentioned in that answer was that when you were coming up, there was not as much focus uh, pushing forward women in the study of the sciences and mathematics. And one of the things uh, that I said during your inter- uh, introduction is that you are the president of the Association for Women in Mathematics, uh, which I believe uh, might do some do some work down uh, the path of, of trying to push some more women into studying the subject. So uh, could you tell me a little bit about uh, what AWM is? Absolutely. So the Association for Women in Mathematics is a 45-year-old organization that was created in the early 70s to help our mission is to promote careers and advancement for women and girls in mathematics and the mathematical sciences. And we have a very wide range of programs and a a rich history. The Association for Women in Mathematics is one of the major mathematical societies, primarily in the U.S., although we are international. But we have very strong partnerships with AMS, American Math Society, MAA, Mathematics Association of America, and SIAM, Society for Industrial and Applied Math. Um, and we feel very fortunate to have those partnerships. So we have a major presence at the annual meetings, the joint math meetings and the SIAM annual meetings. Um, and we partner with these organizations both to sponsor invited lectureships for female researchers in mathematics, to give prizes, special prizes for women, but also promote women to be uh, considered for prizes and fellowships and such given by these other organizations. So we have a very, very strong partnership with all of the major math associations of America. And that, that gives a gives a good overview of, of what the AWM is. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about, um, beyond like lectureships uh, and uh, working at the meetings, what, what sort of uh, other work is, is AWM doing in order to uh, promote women in mathematics? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Forgive the rather lengthy answer, because actually, if you survey the programs that we have, it's a very extensive list and it's it's a bit overwhelming. But let me let me try to group them by focus, at least. And one of the things I would like to say to anyone who's listening is, is that the organization does not have nearly as much money and staff support as some of the other organizations I've just mentioned. And we really depend on volunteer support. So all of these programs that I'm talking about are run thanks to the the volunteers and largely women, but many men. We have about 13% of our membership is male who volunteer to help make these programs happen. So I'll start because we talked we started this on the issue of uh, of the pipeline of you know, girls and and young women coming into the profession. So we have some programs that are focused very early on in the pipeline, K through 12. So we have, for example, an essay contest where girls of different ages and different grade levels can submit an essay about a female mathematician that they interview. We sponsor these Sonia Kovalevsky days, which are high school kind of math fairs that are uh, run on the weekends, uh, targeting starting the, at the undergraduate and graduate level, we have things like uh, AWM student chapters at some institutions. Those are focused on undergraduates. At other institutions, those are focused largely on graduate students. Those are usually led or mentored by some often female faculty member at the institution. We encourage institutional memberships. from men, We have hundreds of institutional members, math departments around the country. 
So those those programs are kind of focused at the at the undergraduate level. And we have a mentor net, which is a program to pair students with more senior women who can be mentors for them. We have teacher partnerships and then getting up to the kind of the more the top end of the pipeline. Some of the efforts that I mentioned that are focused on recognition for women in their leadership in the field, both in research and teaching. So a number of awards that we give, the the Hay Award, the Falconer Lectureship, the Kovalevsky Lectureship, the um, Emmy Nutter Lectureship is actually an ICM lecture now for a woman in mathematics. So uh, at the top end, I could say more about, uh, about our efforts on supporting women in research careers in, in math later, but at least I, I wanted to give you kind of a panorama of the scope of different programs. It's really very impressive uh, number of volunteers that work to make all of these things happen. I mean, th- there's a reason why there is a, a, a pipeline problem and there are various things that uh, kind of stand in the way institutionally, culturally, and and other things like that, that do stop at least it, from my viewpoint, seem to uh, stop or slow down the the progression of, of women in mathematics. I was wondering if you could uh, talk to me a bit about what you see uh, as being the problems that are out there today. Oh, well, that's a very interesting question. And I cannot claim to have the answer because certainly there are plenty of people asking this question and studying this even from a social science point of view. And there's lots of perspectives on this issue. But One thing I'll mention that's interesting is the difference between math and computer science, for example, and other fields in the sciences. So I'm fortunate to work in a computer science research lab. I'll have a lot of interaction with especially the leadership in computer science research and leadership for women, too. And I see a real difference, actually, between math and computer science in what is the pipeline issue. So for math... We have pretty strong numbers in terms of math undergraduates. Um, The number of uh, the percentage of female undergraduate math majors is strong. And it just kind of declines, you know, little by little from there. So but we're still over the last few decades, women have been getting somewhere hovering around 25 to 28 percent of the PhDs in mathematics. So those are those are very strong numbers compared to let's say physics and computer science. But what I have noticed over time is that we still have a very 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 small percentage of the research jobs in mathematics in in the in at least in academia. And I would argue that we're getting a very very thin piece of the pie in terms of the resources that go to support research in mathematics. So there's, you know, NSF funding for, for research programs for mathematicians, and women get a very small percentage of the, of the dollars that go to research funding. And I found that there's a very tight feedback loop between getting NSF grants, publishing in the top research journals in mathematics, and getting the top research positions in mathematics at Research One universities where your research is really well kind of funded and supported. Most women end up going into jobs that have a very strong uh, teaching component and responsibility and a lot less support for their research. And that's one of the problems that we're really trying to tackle at AWM at the top end of the pipeline. And what I have found is that you ask kind of what the barriers are, is that science and mathematics, like any human endeavor, is really network-based. 
So, you know, it used to be there's the term the old boys network and people shy away from using that term anymore. But the fact is, is that the truth is there really is a network of people that govern the community and this very tight feedback loop between the editors who control the editorial decisions for the top research journals, the NSF panels that decide the um, NSF grants, and the hiring committees that hire researchers at the top universities is, is a very closed community. And it is very hard for women to break into that unless they're, for example, the student of one of the professors at one of those top universities. So what we're trying to do is to build a very strong network of researchers in mathematics that are women that support each other. And the main tool that we're using to do that is these research collaboration conferences. I believe one of the uh, research symposiums is coming up in just a couple of months, isn't it? Yeah, so, so this is really a great achievement for AWM, and I hope it's going to become kind of our signature event. So this is the third research symposium that we're running. We started with the 40th anniversary of AWM, running a, a huge research symposium at um, Brown University, um, and I co-organized that with Jill Pfeiffer, my professor from my first-year calculus Um who's a professor at Brown, and Georgia Bankart, who launched this initiative while she was president. She's a professor emeritus from the University of Wisconsin. And that meeting had uh, close to 400 people at it. It had around between 150 and 180 female mathematicians uh, speaking at the meeting, and it had 18 special sessions in different areas of mathematics. Uh, we got great support from NSF and several other government agencies. So it was really a big event. And this is something that we've decided to continue. So we run these huge AWM research symposia every two years now. And the next one is coming up at the University of Maryland in April. And we're just very proud to have the really high quality you know, speakers and organizers that we have. For example, plenary speakers at the upcoming meeting include Ingrid Dobichies, who was the first female president of the IMU, the International Mathematical Mathematics Union. At the last symposium two years ago in, in Santa Clara, we had Miriam Mirzakami as one of our plenary speakers, who, as you know, is the was named the first female Fields Medalist earlier, uh, actually last summer. We are very excited that we've invited Michelle Obama. She's been requested to come and help to give our first AWM Presidential Award, which will be given to the co-founders of the EDGE program, Rhonda Hughes and Sylvia Bozeman, who founded the EDGE program more than 15 years ago. EDGE is for Enhancing Diversity in Graduate Education. And they've helped helped to promote many African-American women to get PhDs in mathematics and supported them throughout their careers and built a great community. So we really hope that Michelle Obama will come and accept our invitation to help us give this award. So we've got a lot of really great, great people on the uh on the docket. Uh, we're, we're hearing about what, what AD, AWM is doing now. I was wondering if they had any effects on on your career prior to, you know, you being, you know, an officer and, and now president. I mean, in the beginning of your career, did AWM uh, help you out or have any effect on you? Oh, absolutely. And actually, I would like to have, um, we're thinking of creating a column in the newsletter or something for different women to speak out about how AWM has helped them in their careers, just so people get an idea of 
how the organization can have value to them. So for me, I was a fresh PhD and I had the opportunity to attend the AWM workshop at the joint math meetings, which meant I got funding to go to the meeting and I interviewed for jobs there at the meeting. And that was a great experience. Then I got funding from AWM, both a travel grant and at one point a mentoring grant from the AWM. The mentoring grant was fantastic. I got to go to Paris for a month to work with Jean-Pierre Serre, who was a Fields medalist from 1954 and a, a great figure in the field. And he had been writing back and forth with me about some extensions I was doing to, to his work. And he had written me several letters, you know, typed out letters that he had sent to me in the mail. And so I went with him I went to Paris to work with him and ended up writing two papers where these letters that he had written me appeared as appendices to the papers. And so that was just a great boost to my career um, to have papers essentially co-authored with Jean-Pierre Serre while I was a postdoc. And, you know, he wrote me a letter of recommendation to get my job at Microsoft Research. And so there's really a direct uh, link that you can see the ways that AWM supports young women's careers and the, you know, the outcome that it can have. And I feel silly that I didn't highlight a little bit more the opportunity for young women to apply for travel grants and mentoring grants from the AWM, because I think that's one of the great programs that we run. What are, I mean, you're, you just, you just became president of the AWM. What are, what is, what are your big, uh, you know, initiatives? What are your big ideas uh, that you are, you're hoping to get done while you are the president? Oh, great. Well, I'm so glad you asked me about that because I, I love talking about these things. So these are the things that I'm very passionate about, but I also recognize that other uh, women have other passions. And so they I, I'm going to mention the things that I'm going to work hard on, but I don't want anybody to get the impression that I'm going to leave behind, you know, other people's pet projects. So one of my first actions is to actually have kind of a brainstorming session at the uh, executive committee meeting to get executive committee members working on their own projects and working together on things where they have common interests. But the things that I'm particularly passionate about really have to do with these breaking the glass ceiling initiatives. So really trying to work on the top end of the pipeline, trying to get more women in the research jobs and with strong research funding. So in addition to our research symposia that we run every two, two years with, you know, like I said, hundreds of, of female speakers, we're also supporting, collaborating with efforts to run what I call RCCW, Research Collaboration Conferences for Women. And this is a model that we started in number theory back in roughly 2006. So we've run a number of conferences for women in number theory. So it's called WIN, Women in Numbers. And um, we've run three conferences at Banff International Research Station 2008, 2011, and 2014, and a conference in Europe, WINE, Women in Numbers in Europe. And these, the model for these collaboration conferences is to bring senior and junior women together for a week-long conference, but not to have everybody sit around listening to people give talks, but rather to have research projects defined in advance with senior women uh, research leaders. 
and have junior women, both um, grad students and postdocs, apply to the program and to get placed into these research groups um, with the more senior women and together to work on projects which lead to a research publication. So each one of these conferences is intended to form groups that will continue to work together and actually publish a research paper coming out of their week-long collaboration. And often it takes something like three to six months after the conference to, you know, finish the work and get things written up. But so far we have a really strong record of these collaborations producing high-quality research papers and helping to build a network of research scientists who then support each other. So I think the WIN network has had a lot of success already and we all really enjoy being part of this community. And now through AWM, we're trying to really support and help launch research networks for women in many other areas. And we're tying our AWM workshops at the joint meetings and the SIAM meetings to these net, these research networks. So a few other examples of areas w- which have established uh, networks and wh- which are running collaboration conferences are uh, WIT, Women in Topology, WISH, Women in Shapes, WinArt, which is um, having to do with representation theory, uh, algebraic combinatorics, uh, WAM, which is uh, Women in Applied Math, um, several different areas of applied math, and then mathematical biology. So this this whole initiative is very exciting to me. And another thing that AWM is doing, which is tied to that, is we've launched a new publication series. So we have a partnership with Springer, where Springer is publishing a new series, which is the AWM series, that will publish the proceedings volumes from all of these conferences. So we have our first three volumes coming out this year, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. These, uh, these research networks are, sound, sound very interesting, I, if only because women in whatever discipline seems to make a much better name than men in like men in number theory it'd be men men in topology mitt like none of i mean you have you have win and wit like you seem to be winning on names alone yeah the names came out really well win wit wish wham wine (laughs) Uh, so does it seem to you that today with, with the things awm is doing with these research networks that are being set up and then more of a i don't know a a seeming cultural shift or at least the start of one towards maybe trying to have a little bit less misogyny uh, on a on a day-to-day basis that uh, like the outlook for for women in mathematics and women in in sciences is looking better than it has in recent time well i certainly think it's looking better and one thing you can point to is If you look in the high tech industry for example i can speak about the major computer science companies, they're putting actually a huge amount of money and resources into this problem and trying to encourage women and girls to go into computer science. There's a lot of outreach to girls uh, programs for for young girls, you know, Girls Who Code or DigiGirls or all, all kinds of programs to encourage girls to go into coding and computer science. And I would like like to see more of these programs at a national scale for girls in mathematics as well. But mathematics has the advantage that mathematics is part of the mainstream curriculum for high school, whereas computer science is still fighting that uphill battle. But overall, I would say that things have definitely improved in the sense that openly sexist comments are 
completely unacceptable in the profession. There's there are certain legal pr- protections in place, which are not always enough, but certainly are a very good start. And we're actually fortunate in this country. I think our legal protections are better than in some other countries. And I think that there's an awareness of the issue, which is very healthy. That being said, I think the problem that we're really still facing is the issue of implicit bias. So this has been well studied um, by social scientists, and it really it does exist, and there really is discrimination there. But a lot of times, you cannot prove that it's discrimination. You cannot prove that any decision, a hiring decision or a publication decision was made on the basis of gender or, or sexism or discrimination. But what you can see is a lot of good social science work that points to the existence of implicit bias and the fact that, for example, when people know that a paper is authored by females, they may have a very different assessment of it than if they think it's authored by men. And that's one practice which I think is very interesting. I see in my field in computer science and cryptography, all the paper submissions for the top conferences are done anonymously. That's something that I think can really help and something that I hope will be considered in the mathematical profession for the future. There's other remedies that you can think of that can be put in place that are that have been tried in other disciplines. And I think it's worth continuing to explore the different options for, for improving our environment and, and supporting women in math. Um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this issue is that I really think it's good for society. I think it's good for society in general, and it's it's a national priority as well. You can see the leadership at the Office of Science and Technology Policy and at the NSF talking about the need to promote women and girls in science as a resource for for our society and for the progress that can be made. All right, so let's let's uh, uh, transition uh, off. Off a little bit to uh, talk a little bit about the the you know actual mathematical research that you do, which is also uh, important. Uh, so what what was it about cryptography that that drew you in? What what made you want to want to study uh, hidden things? Oh, that's a, a very good question. So the interesting thing for me is I've experienced a real shift in in my career that. I went into mathematics just for the pure beauty of it. And as an undergraduate and a graduate student, I was really overwhelmed by the beauty of abstract mathematics and um, the theory and the proofs. And I just I just loved it. Had no thought for applications. Went to University of Chicago, which doesn't even have an engineering school. Computer science department there is very theoretical. So I didn't have much of a thought to, to applications at all. I would say there were probably a couple of talks that I heard, uh, colloquium talks, um, as a graduate student at the University of Chicago that probably had a bit of an influence on me. I remember Neil Sloan coming to talk about coding theory, which is not cr- cryptography, but the theory of error correcting codes, um, which was somewhat related to my research in graduate school in algebraic geometry. And I also remember hearing Ingrid Dobichis come and talk about wavelets, which was a big excitement at the time. And so those things probably had a bit of an influence on me. But what really made a difference was when I went to the University of Michigan as a Hildebrand assistant professor, I developed some courses to teach for undergrads and master's students in math and engineering that were focused on 
error correcting codes and the mathematics of that, but also stuck in a little bit of cryptography in both my coding theory classes and the number theory classes that I taught for undergraduates. And I was just so surprised by the reaction of the students, both undergrad math majors and the engineering students that just loved learning about this applied side of math. The cryptography seemed to particularly inspire the students. And I really enjoyed interacting with the engineering students and faculty to find out more about the practical side of uh, coding theory and applications in, you know, communication systems and things. So it was a really exciting time. It was just about the time when Qualcomm was being founded based on this new CDMA technology. So I started to get very excited about these applications. And what happened was, is that a job popped up at Microsoft Research in the cryptography group where they were interested in having someone who would work on elliptic curve cryptography. And it just seemed like kind of a perfect fit and a perfect opportunity for me. So I took a chance and, and did that. And I just loved the research environment. And one of the things I've really enjoyed in my career there has been the opportunity to really learn many, many new things from business to, to the legal side of things to the computer science foundations that, that I didn't have in my training and that the real applications of, of, of mathematics in exciting ways. So now I work on all kinds of applications of cryptography to, for example, privacy and healthcare, which I find very compelling societal need and, and something that can be very important and very good for society. And so I would say that it's probably more the applications of cryptography that has ended up getting me really excited about the field rather than just, you know, the pure beauty of mathematics, which was what originally motivated me. So it's been kind of a long, uh, long arc, a long transition in my career. And I find myself surprised at what motivates me today versus what has motivated me in the past. So if we could uh, talk about one of these applications, actually, and that is uh, you, you've done work on homomorphic encryption, which allows uh, people to actually do uh like to do computing on data that is actually encrypted could you could you tell me a little bit about that yes well this is a really exciting development really in the last five years in the field traditionally um strong encryption was thought to be very opaque in the sense that it's supposed to have these very strong indistinguishability properties so that you you know can't tell if something is an encryption of zero or an encryption of one that kind of thing and it's really shut down all the possibility for for computation on encrypted data so what homomorphic encryption is is a little bit of a relaxation of some of the security definitions to allow a, a computation to be done on encrypted data. And then it took a while to kind of come up with, with solutions based on hard mathematical problems that could be used to instantiate these homomorphic encryption systems. And the really exciting thing has been in the last five years, new solutions based on what we call lattice-based cryptography. Um, so lattice-based cryptography have been investigated actually over several decades. Um, going back to the 90s, there was um, a system called NTRUE, which was based on lattices proposed by number theorist um, Joe Silverman and Jeff Hofstein and Jill Pfeiffer at Brown, and um, had, was actually commercialized. But this is kind of a new kind of variation on the mathematical constructions in lattice-based cryptography. And there's just been a flood of papers and a flood of progress making these homomorphic encryption schemes 
practical and bringing them to reality. And I have been involved over the last three or four years with my research group in building systems that both are optimized in terms of performance and also are focused on really practical applications, such as what I mentioned, for example, um, privacy in healthcare. So for, for example, doing computations on genomic data, which is held in encrypted form, doing statistical computations on health data, doing predictive analysis. So one of the kind of exciting things that I got to do last year was to be on a panel at the AAAS meeting in Chicago, where there was a news briefing afterwards. And I did a live demo of a heart attack risk prediction, which was running in the cloud on encrypted data and returned results within like two tenths of a second, something like that. So to really show that practical tasks can be accomplished in a very reasonable amount of time. So that's been a very exciting application of the the fun mathematics for me. Uh, one thing I was thinking while I, while I was researching, coming up with questions for this interview is I was, I was wondering what your perspective would be uh, as as a researcher in cryptography and doing a lot of theoretical research on on kind of uh, how you see some of the implementations of cryptography which uh, can you know be some can be very very good and very positive and can help society uh, but also sometimes can be very poor and sometimes even be purposefully uh, broken as as we now know thanks to uh, some of the releases of uh, data over the last few years ab- about this so I was wondering if you could uh, talk to me a little bit about kind of your feelings as, as a researcher as, as you see these these bits of information come out? Well, I think one thing that's really very positive is that we have such an active crypto research community that's spread across government and industry and academia so that you have, you know, uh, researchers being funded both in academia and industry who are able to develop crypto systems and solutions and also to attack systems completely independent of government-funded work that's done internally within government. So, you know, we have the opportunity to really argue for strong systems where we know we have proofs of security for for certain things. So I I think that's a real positive, you know, for society that we have. It's kind of like a system of checks and balances that we have in place where people can do research um, in an independent way and publish their work. So I feel very fortunate to be supported in my career at Microsoft Research, you know, to publish all of the research that we do, including research on, you know, attacks on systems so that we can really understand um, what are the best known attacks on various crypto systems. And that's a dialogue with, you know, other researchers around the world at companies and academia and, and working in government around the world. So I think it's a very positive environment. And I have a lot of confidence that we'll continue to do a good job to make sure that we put strong crypto in place for the ways that it's needed. Uh, I uh, one, la- one last question for you here today. And that, that would be if there was, a, if there was another person graduating, another, another uh, young woman who's, who's graduating from high school, maybe, maybe early as you did, maybe, maybe on time and is interested in say physics like you were or, or mathematics or, or computer science uh, like you do now, what, what pieces of advice would you give uh, to her about, uh, about, her academic career and and her interests going forward? 
Oh, well, thanks for asking that. That's a big responsibility. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, give my, I'll give my suggestions, but definitely take it with a grain of salt. So I have certainly found a career in industry to be very rewarding. And I think that it can be an advantage for women because you have an opportunity to argue for the importance of your work based on the impact that it can make in society and based on your skill in explaining it and arguing for its importance. And those are two things that I think are largely missing in academic mathematics. And so I think that it's it's would be great to keep, you know, keep an eye on the opportunities in, in government and industry for, for doing really serious math research. And one way to kind of get from here to there, or at least to leave those options open, is to do internships while you're a graduate student or even an undergraduate sometimes. If you're studying mathematics, which I think is a great thing to study, it's a great foundation for you know, a life of intellectual work to keep in mind, you know, other skills that can make you attractive for internships. So definitely learning um, to program coding in, in C or, or what other, whatever other language is at hand and valuable, being able to do um, things like statistics or think about modeling problems, things like machine learning. These are all relatively basic things that can be done as an undergraduate at a certain level or, or in graduate school. So I encourage kind of a, bra- a broad foundation in the mathematical sciences and um, an eye to opportunities outside of academia to, do, to have a research career in mathematics. So doing internships at, in industry and government while you're a student. So that, that's my best advice right there. Hey, Chris Alaro, thank you very much for coming on Strongly Connected Components. Thank you. And that is all the time that we have for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to find out more about Kristen Lauder, please head over to acmescience.com where you can find a post all about this episode. And if you want to leave any feedback about this episode, please email me, samuel at acmescience.com. That is samuel at acmescience.com, my personal email address, where you can leave any feedback or suggest guests or talk to me about Science Sparring Society or Relatively Prime, some of the other fine podcasts from Acme Science. Uh, or if you just want to say hey, I'll say hey back. I love getting email. It's, it's great. I really do. Please say hey. The music on this episode is from Hard and Firm, the Pi song, for when we come in and when we go out. And I'm talking to you like this. It is the Ants Go Jumping by Science CTN. You can find them over at SoundCloud. This episode, as always, is a Creative Commons Attribution share-alike licensed podcast. So please feel free to reuse it, like kind of any any sort of way you want to, as long as you say that you've got the original audio here from ActiveScience.com and Strongly Connected Components. And by me, Samuel Hansen, your host and producer. Uh, and, and thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to get back to the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. That would be great. And tell all of your friends. Seriously, if you're in like a math department and there's people who aren't listening to Strongly Connected Components and relatively prompt, then tell them. Please share them. Grab their phones. Go to their podcast app. Just download this because they should know they should know what you know because you want to share it this this doesn't need to be a secret everyone this doesn't need to be secret this should be spread everywhere there's tons of people who really would like 
hearing interviews with mathematicians. I swear. And the reason I know is because you right now are actually listening to me blather on about this. So please share this episode as much as you can, because it was really interesting. It, come on, guys. It was, it was great, right? Kristen Lauder was fantastic, and more people should hear it. So share this episode, Creative Commons Attribution, share like, and all that. And as always, have a math week, y'all. <laughs>